Pop Culture 5 podcast with your host, Deremy and Thomas. I'm Deremy, and I'm joined by the master of his domain, the man with the little kicks, <laughs> the man who's all about avoiding shrinkage, my boy Thomas. What's going on, buddy? I am the master of my domain. Yes. Jeremy, thank you <laughs> so much. Oh, man. Yeah, things are good. Oh, gosh. I've been, I felt like the last couple of weeks, just kind of doing all this research for Seinfeld, I, I felt like I've been wrapped in this warm blanket the oh, past really? couple of weeks because it's like comfort food to me, man. Like this show and everything. So that's what I've been feeling the last couple of weeks watching all these episodes is just comfort, just you straight know, up. Yeah. It's funny because I think. More than any of the other topics we've done so far, in a weird way, doing this like dive into Seinfeld again took me back into the actual time, the 90s, and like thinking about, I remember when that that episode dropped, and I remember like, oh, going to school the next day, and everyone was talking about that episode. I was in school age when Seinfeld was going on, so it really just took me back to like, Wow, I haven't th- like memories I haven't thought about, and like even some people who I'm like, you know what, so and so I haven't seen in 25 years, 30 years, but we used to always talk about Seinfeld Friday morning on the bus. We were like rehashing like the previous night episodes, so it really like took me back to. So I I relate to you with the whole comfort like blanket feeling because I really went back to a place that I haven't revisited in a while. It's it's such comfort food. It's one of those where back in the olden times when I would lay on the couch and flip channels before like all the streaming service when you would actually flip channels. Right. If I landed on like TBS or something and there was a Seinfeld rerun, I would stop and I knew that I was in for a good uh, half hour and and don't get me started if there was like a Seinfeld marathon or something going on that day. If I didn't have anything urgent to do, I wasn't I basically wasn't leaving the couch cuz I knew I was going to enjoy anything that I that they were going to put on my screen for the next however long that, that's how it was and then I had uh I have fond memories too of I share Seinfeld with some family members like specific mm. family members like my my parents watched Seinfeld but I really shared it with with my cousin Adam my cousin Nico my aunt Diane uncle Philip like that side of the family my cousins and uncle and aunt we talked about Seinfeld, made Seinfeld references all the time. There was always a Festivus reference over okay. Christmas. There was We had a Seinfeld trivia game, and there were just a handful of us who just knew everything, and so they had to like strategically split up teams so we wouldn't dominate the game that way. It's just so that side of the family, like I think of like my cousins and my aunt and uncle, and we all just shared Seinfeld. And was that so? I, I wanted to ask you was uh-huh. was that when uh, the show was like on that you had that connection with family, or was that kind of come in like syndication? Yeah, it was both. So probably toward the end, like mid to late nineties to the last, the last maybe two or three seasons, we talked about it in real time. Okay. And uh, when it was on syndication, we would just constantly make references to Seinfeld. I remember actually watching the finale with my mom and dad. Me, yeah, uh, at yeah. my house. So, like, that's what was appointment television. It was like the last episode of Mash, where everybody yeah. made sure to watch it. So, I specifically remember in the living room watching the finale of Seinfeld with my mom and dad. We were so excited about it. No, that's true. It was a cultural phenomenon 
And that final episode, I mean, got over, you know, I think it was 78 or 70, 75 or 78 crazy, yeah. million people. And that aired the same day that Frank Sinatra passed away. So people feel like that even kind of, that news took away from like some even potential more viewers during it. Because that hap- that airing date was the same day that Sinatra passed. Uh-huh. So it's like, wow, like 70, you know, late set, like. What could you, outside of a Super Bowl in today, in 2023, there's nothing you can really picture getting that kind of rating on television. No, no, not at all. We're so, uh, back when Seinfeld came out at the perfect time, there was more of a monoculture. People mm-hmm. still were watching the main networks, maybe going to the movies, HBO, so a little bit, but the main web networks really still had a stranglehold on everything. So Seinfeld, what, 89 to 98, that was like still monoculture nowadays. I mean, I, I find out when I get together with my family, they'll ask me, have you watched this show? Have you watched that show? And it'll be stuff that I've never heard of. Right. Right. I'm like, where are you watching this stuff? And then I'll bring up something that like, I've never heard of that. So there's like less shared experiences. Right. There's just so right. much going on right now. No, no, absolutely. And that's why when like, and I, you know, we're doing the essential five essential Seinfeld episodes. But just to your point, real quick, that's why I like the the Taylor Swift phenomenon this year. I mean, she's been a phenomenon for a while, but like mm-hmm. seeing all the attention has impressed me because it's just so hard to have something where everyone is like watching or talking about this thing in pop culture now. So to me, it's even more impressive because we are listening to different stuff and watching different things, and it's like. This rewatch or this deep dive for Seinfeld like makes me like impressed with what I'm seeing with Taylor Swift, but takes me mm-hmm. back to that time where I miss where like you could go into work or school or wherever the next day and you know everyone saw what the big thing was. And if they didn't, you're like, What? You missed it? What's wrong with you? Yeah, like, I kinda you wanna miss, miss out on the catchphrases. Right. You're right, like shrinkage, master yes. of your domain, all of that. Like you, you want to have a frame of reference for that stuff. And it's interesting you brought up Taylor Swift because that's one of the few things that that I thought of was Taylor Swift. And in fact, as we're recording this, when this episode airs, well, my wife and I and my niece will have already gone to see this. But we have plans as as of re- now that we're recording to go see in the movie theater the t- Taylor Swift eras tour. Yeah, in the movie yeah. theaters because my wife and I are curious like I, I i like don't mind taylor swift uh i think for she seems like a nice person from everything that i've seen mm-hmm. i think a few of her songs that i've heard are pretty catchy and stuff but i want to see what this is all about exactly on, so so we bought tickets and my niece is a taylor swift fan so we asked if we, she wanted to go with us and she said yes yeah. so the three of us are going to go to the movie theater to see taylor swift and my wife and I aren't necessarily like fans of her, but we're just interested. And that's, so that's one of the few things nowadays that is comparable to something like Seinfeld. That's like a big cultural phenomenon. Mm -hmm. Well, and to kind of even connect it, that's kind of how my brother and I got into Seinfeld because it wasn't a lot of people in my family watching it. It was, everyone was talking about it. And this is probably, I want to say 95, 96, you know, like, or 94, 95, around that time. So all, like, kids, like, you know, old, like those older kids are on the bus and they're referencing it. And I'm just like, Seinfeld. And, you know, you see the commercials for NBC, like, especially when I was, like, doing, like, watching, like, NBA on NBC. It's like, in this Thursday, the new episode of Seinfeld. And 
following, you know, mad about you and all that stuff. It's like, <laughs> so I was like, okay, like, but everyone was referencing it and talking about it. And it was kind of like, I don't want to be left out. So, hey, Thursday nights, let's start watching this, this Seinfeld. And we kind of started picking up the catchphrases. And then Friday mornings on the bus, we could join in and all. But, yeah. you know, it's it's just interesting to me, Thomas, because I'm with you, like, you know, pop culture fans, try to, historians, you know, p- passionate about it now. And one thing that has always hit me with Seinfeld then and now is – for a lot of different topics, even if you're not a fan of it, you you know you can understand why it blew up, why it got so big in pop culture, mm-hmm. and it makes sense. Seinfeld's a great show; it's well written, it's hilarious, but I still will sit there and look at Seinfeld and go, of all like pop culture phenomenons, this surprises me the most that this caught on the way it did. And became so big. Like if I, if you show me Seinfeld, say I have you know no idea, I'm thinking it has a cult following and a strong cult following. They're passionate about it, but it's not number one in the Nielsen's. It's hmm. not this record breaking kind of show. I would. It just surprises me because of how quirky it is, the different kind of humor. It's not like you know when I look at like Friends, that to me makes sense of why it was so big and mm-hmm. still is big. Seinfeld always perplexes me of like, man, this show was such a juggernaut and still is a juggernaut. I think it's so damn relatable, Seinfeld. Whether we knew it or not, they would bring something up in certain episodes and like, wow, I have noticed that actually. And that they just bring something up that I think it's shared experiences that we didn't necessarily view as shared experiences until Seinfeld showed it on screen. I think that's what it was. Right, right. So so it was kind of like, whatever Larry David and Jerry, whatever they cooked up, it was like, yeah, that is relatable. And I didn't know that I felt that way or noticed these things until I saw it on Seinfeld. It's true. There is some relate in some things. It's kind of like not relatable in a way. Uh, Yeah. It's not. I mean, they are bad people. (laughs) So some of what they do is not totally relatable. And I think that's what is like surprising where it's like the main characters are, are not redeeming. They're not like, (laughs) They don't love them. Like, they're not like these lovable guys. They're not learning lessons. And that's totally what, like, against the, uh, what the playbook was, mm-hmm. which is why I salute this show always. But it's just like, even how, like, the show started, like, those first couple seasons. It, like, I've never seen a show, like, if you look at, like, the first, it's like, season one is, like, the pilot. Season two is, like, five episodes. It kind of like was forgotten. NBC like left it alone and it was kind of forgotten about. And it's like many other shows probably would have gotten canceled by the time you got to like season three mm-hmm. or going into season four. But this show was kind of like ignored and like they let Larry David and Jerry Seinfeld kind of create their own little world. And it just took off. And it's like it's not the quote unquote beautiful people. It's not the hip, trendy young people. It's just a weird, it's very New York based. And a lot of times that can like offend, especially back then. Like a lot of people were like, oh, it's so New York. Like that doesn't relate to me. But yet it related to everybody. It's amazing. It's uh, very amazing. Just, gosh, like I said, warm blanket. And I I just enjoyed revisiting a lot of these episodes so much the past couple weeks. I got to ask you before we get into the essential episodes. 
I want to know who is, it's a two-parter, okay. your favorite main character, uh-huh. and then your favorite, because Seinfeld, the Seinfeld universe is is vast and deep. Who's your favorite, like, supporting character? Okay. Um, out of the main four mm-hmm. characters, I think George is probably my favorite one. And it's not like he's likable, because cause none of them are likable, but they're, I don't know, well, he's kind of... He is kind of likable in a weird way. Like he's not redeeming, but you end up liking him and some of the other ones. And just George is so well written because he's basically like he is Larry David. Right. George is modeled after Larry David. And just some of the stuff that George gets into, his his character arc and everything. It's just I, I always seem to be most interested in in the stuff that George gets into. I think. And as far as side characters go, I think probably I'm going to stick with the Costanzas. I think Frank, George's dad, wow, okay. might be my favorite side character. Jerry Stiller is so good. So He's great. so expressive. The way sometimes he'll just like flick George in the head or hit him in the head with his palm or have every now and then he'll have a random sort of shouting match with Elaine or something like that. Just frank's belief system fascinates me and just everything about frank he just he's just always really stood out to me what about you Jeremy? it's hard for my favorite main character i've always kind of it, it goes back and forth either between kramer or jerry i uh-huh. i have as the years gone on really appreciated what jerry seinfeld the character was to the show and playing that straight man and how like he's the star of the show he's the co-creator but being so giving to let these other tremendous actors tr- tremendous comedic forces like Michael Richards, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, Jason Alexander letting them shine through mm-hmm. and a lot of like those little subtle lines and little subtle things that he has and being that center and being like kind of he's like the audience in a way he's kind of reacting to what like the craziness is around, and I, and I've really grown to like that. But I also love Kramer as well. Kramer just his physical humor, and that like slapstick kind of comedy, like that's yeah. it's pure. What Michael Richards did, I know the word genius gets thrown around a lot, and sometimes a little too loosely. But if you see just watching what Michael Richards did on Seinfeld as Kramer, it's pure genius. Like just how he did those things. And yeah, his mannerisms, the way he entered a room, mm-hmm. the little sounds he would make when he was reacting to something, the little like giddy up and things like that. Like just physical acting was like on another level. Yeah, I think it may sound weird. I think for the four main characters, those are the perfect four. But if there's someone who like you couldn't. I can't think of anyone else to do that character. Number one to me is no one else pops in the mind to play Kramer besides Michael Richards. Like, yeah, I, I don't think that. anyone else could do that. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm a big Putty fan for my supporting character. <laughs> I, I just of think he was great, and he was a great foil for Elaine, and just kind uh, of not a not a lot of lines, right? You look at not like not like great monologues by you know for Patrick Warburton, the actor who played uh-huh. Putty. But just the facial reactions and just how he his delivery was just classic. And you kind of, then and now, you got excited when Putty was a Putty episode. Like yeah. You got hyped for it. So he, he was always like a favorite of mine. That's a good one. Putty marched the beat of his own drummer, definitely. It's, he always yeah. seemed like 
he liked Elaine and he liked being with Elaine, but he he could he he could do without it. He could do without all that. He he definitely was his own person. Anytime the New Jersey Devils do anything of note, people start sharing putty memes yeah. and the picture of putty and the New Jersey Devils face paint and and all of that. Yeah, Put, putty was great. Patrick Warburton did such a good job with that. And I got something for you. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll save it for the end. Ooh. Like I'll save it for the end. I'll take it back. So okay. I'll, we'll we'll double back on it yeah. because it's a connecting thing. But I, I want to see your take on this. But wow, honestly, I'm being real. It just popped into my mind today, <laughs> like right before coming on here with you. But I was like, I want to see what Thomas thinks about this. But we'll do the essentials, you know, and then we'll we'll get back to this to kind of wrap it up. But um, perfect for those if you're joining us for the first time, it's you know, five essentials. That's the pop culture five. So since I picked this topic, I'm the quote unquote host. I'll get three choices of the five. Thomas will get two, but Thomas has veto power. So (laughs) if he disagrees with one of mine and throws out that veto, then I have to come up with another episode. So, uh, Thomas, do you think you'll be, uh, using that veto today? Maybe. I don't know. Seinfeld's one of those where it's an important show to me, so I might be a little critical. Well, well yeah, let's see. Okay. Okay. So I'm going to go first, and it's really tough because I'm going to be honest. For everyone around the front, for Thomas, for you, everybody, I do not love the early years of Seinfeld. I am not a fan of like those first three seasons. Are not it for me. And I know this isn't a best or favorite. This is essential. But I'm not really going to be going that way. When it comes to essential episodes. Because I feel like the show was so different. And what the core show of Seinfeld is. To me is seasons 4 through 9. That's like the core of what I think. Most people who love this show. Connect with. Is those seasons. So all that being said. I'm going to go, I believe it's season six, and I'm going with The Switch. So the roommate laughed at everything I said. Wow. It was a great sounding laugh, too, kind of lilting and feminine. None of those big coarse ha's. You know those? Oh, yeah. Ha, ha! Yeah. <laughs> hate the big coarse ha, I hate those. And the worst part, of course, is that she also possessed many of the other qualities prized by the superficial man. <laughs> So as you can see, I've got a bit of a problem here. I'm going with the switch because I think one of the things that makes Seinfeld great and essential Seinfeld is the storylines connecting, but also it's big to me to see, I think of the little schemes that these characters are getting into and these little plots and these things and the how like... They're kind of far-fetched. They're real, but they're far-fetched. But they're just... The way they take it so seriously. And I think that's what I love about this episode where... So, for this one, the premise is... Jerry is dating somebody who doesn't really laugh at his jokes. And Jerry's a a comedian, so it's kind of... Like, he's not really feeling that. So... He goes to her apartment named Sandy, and he meets her roommate who laughs at his jokes. He's very attractive. Jerry tells George that he wants to break up with this 
girl Sandy, the non-laugher, and wants to date her roommate, Laura, who is the laugher. So then you kind of have this, which to me is one of the funniest, like, running things I ever, like, scenes, is when, you know, George is like, I th you're trying to pull this off, I think you should just pay your check, go home, and never think about this. Like, this, it can't be done. And then he's like, I need you, man, Jerry, I need you. And to me, I always laugh at that because, like, having friends where, like, you're trying to pull, especially, like, not now as much, but you want to pull off something crazy, you shake hands, like, all right, we're, we're going to try this thing. And then the music that's playing and, like, that, like, little montage of seeing them just, like, sweating it out and trying to game plan and focus on how to pull this off, it's just classic to me. And then where, you know, at the end of that scene, George is like, hey, they're just looking defeated. He's like, go get some rest. We'll try it again tomorrow. George walks out, and then he comes in, right back in, and goes, I got it! Let's go over it again one more time. Ah. So I tell Sandy that I want to have a menage a trois with her and her roommate. That's right. And you believe this course of action will have a two-pronged effect. Firstly, the very mention of the idea will cause Sandy to recoil in disgust. Whereupon, she will insist that I remove myself from the premises. Keep going. At this point, it is inevitable that she will seek out the roommate to apprise her of this abhorrent turn of events. Continue. The roommate will then offer her friend the requisite sympathy, even as part of her cannot help but feel somewhat flattered by her inclusion in the unusual request. <laughs> And I think that was just so genius. And also it's a big episode because this is the one where we find out the name of Kramer, his first name. Ma? <laughs> Cosmo! <laughs> Cosmo? <laughs> and that scene to me is hilarious. So I think... It's a big episode where we get to find out Kramer's first name finally. It was a big reveal. I think it's great because the plots kind of intercross. You know, George is dating someone he thinks is bulimic. So that's where we get to meet Kramer's mom. And that's where we hear the name. So all these things kind of cross over. Everyone to me has strong, you know, storylines. Elaine with uh, Miss Pitts and all that. So I think it's just a great episode. And I'm going to go with the switch for my first choice. I think this is a beloved episode amongst uh, Seinfeld fans, for sure. I think it shows good, it shows the character really well of Jerry, because that's a typical, that's such a Jerry thing to want to do, would be to want to get with the roommate and to try to propose a switch. And it introduced maybe a little bit of terminology, like the switch, and Seinfeld, this show was always genius at that, is introducing little terms <laughs> into right. the cultural lexicon. And that was kind of one of them around that time was like the roommate switch, the switch. And mm -hmm. so that's a perfect summation of Jerry's character and his dating life. That's something right. perfect that Jerry would do. And George, his idea of like, why don't you propose a menage a trois? And she'll be so disgusted. But then what was it? I think the thinking too was that the roommate might be flattered by it. Yeah. And so then yeah. that's how you could rope the roommate in. Mm -hmm. uh, but of course... She was into it. Right. <laughs> and the roommate's into it, too. And <laughs> so, of course, George's plan, uh, you can kind of see the logic behind it. Uh, it backfires a little. 
Uh, so that was a good like showcase of George's his personality and his character <laughs> as right. well. Yeah. And, no, I think you you nailed it. Like uh-huh. Jerry to me was classic. Jerry is the reason why he broke up with all these women were just the most absurd. Like to think about it. Like I want to break up with this person because she doesn't laugh. She's a non-laugher. And it shows, like, hey, this what George's skill or his talent is is schemes. Yeah, how to like be Weasley and get these schemes. And I think it it highlight what makes both of them great to a T in this episode. Yeah, and the classic moment too, as we were all like wondering what Kramer's first name was. That was almost mm-hmm. kind of a a thing with Seinfeld fans back then. So this is being the episode where we find out. Kramer's name and I think it was well done it actually finding out his name was a little part of the proceedings what was happening in the show uh it was very memorable to find out that his name was Cosmo Kramer and Cosmo fit I think they picked a really good name too absolutely it fits so I know that the the switch is a beloved episode among Seinfeld fans uh I think it's a uh it's a really good choice it's it's one of the ones that uh I had Gosh, my initial list was like fifteen to twenty, and the switch was on that. Okay, uh, so so that was one where I, when I started paring down and looking through the episodes, that kind of I was like, yeah, the switch. That's actually one to consider for sure. So yeah, Jeremy, no veto. We have okay. the switch. I was worried about that. One. I wasn't going to make was you switch to another <laughs> episode. Okay. Okay. Curious to see because I know you. This was a you had a lot to bring with this one. Yeah, big list. So I'm curious how you whittled it down to to your two. Alrighty. So with my choice, I chose I chose one that honestly I think is a memorable one among Seinfeld fans and maybe even non Seinfeld fans. And we actually alluded to it with some of the stuff that we've said already in this show and it, it seems like an obvious one but re-watching it it's obvious one for a reason all right i'll tell you this though i am never doing that again what you mean in your mother's house or all together all together you don't think i can no chance <laughs> you think you could well i know i could hold out longer than you care to make it interesting so I chose the contest from season four. When I watched this one, I'm like, is it going to be too obvious if I pick the contest? And then I, I watched it two or three times in the last couple of weeks. I'm like, no, it's one of the beloved ones because I think, gosh, like the way, first of all, they gamify the episode, mm-hmm. this contest, like now as viewers, we're almost watching a sporting event take Absolutely. place during the episode. Right, right. And so we have stakes in like George, Kramer, Elaine, and Jerry. And just a recap, I don't know if people even need a recap, but this is the one where the four of them make a bet to see who can hold out the longest as far as self-pleasure. And they and the, one of the great things about this is they find ways to allude to it without actually saying it. Mm-hmm. So they say, you know, or I'm never doing that again. George says that. They have these euphemisms. <laughs> But are you still master of your domain? I am king of the county. You? Lord of the manor. So they pick, pick all these euphemisms that entered pop culture 
lexicon. But I just love how they gamified the episode. So you're just following this, like I said, like it's a sporting event. And just the little details, Jeremy, of this episode are just genius. Like it's a funny observation, first of all, that Elaine would have to put more money down yeah, in the yeah, contest. Yeah. Like they made her give odds. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. Like, absolutely. From my perspective, yeah. You need you need she probably should have put more than one fifty to their one hundred. I think so uh, too. Yeah, but I think that was a funny observation is is them saying, well, yeah, I think women could last a lot longer in, in such a contest than men, so you got to give us odds. And she conceded. She's like, yeah, okay. Yeah, so that, that was just such a really great detail. So, yeah, the contest. Like, Jeremy, I don't know. How do you feel about this pick? No, nah, this is the slam dunk one. This is essential in so many ways. It's essential in what Seinfeld is all about as far as, like, the show and the writing of the show and – and and who these defining who these characters are it's essential in you know this is a season four episode which is the breakthrough season but Mm -hmm. this is really the breakthrough episode this is the breakthrough episode that kind of puts Seinfeld into that stratosphere of like not just a critical hit or not just to show that NBC is like we believe in it it became a cultural phenomenon after this episode so it's essential in so many ways and it's essential in it is, I think you have to put it on, I think, top five greatest episodes in the history of television. Maybe. Is the contest. So, I mm-hmm. mean, it's just, you can look at it for so many different angles of why the contest is essential. And from a screenwriting standpoint, so many things stood out to me, like uh, the different things that they set up to the obstacles for to make it difficult for each character mm-hmm. to win the contest. So you have like George that sponge bath at the hospital when he's visiting right. his mom. You have Kramer, the woman across the street who's walking around her part apartment naked. And they're all watching and Elaine comes in and says, What are you looking at? There's a naked woman across the street. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be the easiest money I've ever made in my life. Oh, man. You have Elaine. Uh, she's behind JFK Jr. in her aerobics class. And he kind of... Right hears that she take he takes a shine to her so she has that image in her head and then jerry's dating a virgin mm-hmm. of course so that's a huge obstacle for jerry is to be dating a virgin so i just love how they make it almost like yeah like a sporting event or even like a video game like there's these clear obstacles that each one of these characters is facing and they lay it out in such a perfect way dare me like i don't know that's probably something that maybe stood out to you Oh, absolutely. Um, I think of, I mean, that scene where the guys are watching that the the beautiful naked woman across the the street, and then Kramer just walks out the apartment. He goes to his apartment, and then a couple seconds later, comes over. I'm out. That's just that was a way, classic Seinfeld moment. Oh man, and the way like the studio audience just starts howling, and then <laughs> looking at Jerry and George like turn around, like they're both at the window, like what? I'm out. Like it was just so great. I mean, I, I I'm going to say the word again. I think if uh, I use the word genius for how Michael Richards portrayed Kramer, but if you want to see the genius of Larry David as a comedy writer. You go to this episode, and there's a lot of options for Larry David, but I think number one is this episode for all the reasons you said. Yeah, another storytelling device too is 
they let us know who's still in the contest by who's having trouble sleeping. Yeah, absolutely. It's so uh, so they initially, yeah, great storytelling device. So they initially they show all of them and Kramer's the one that's sound asleep mm-hmm. at first and then the second time, much to I think they, they much to the surprise of a lot of viewers Elaine's the second one that's mm-hmm. out because of JFK Jr. So the second time like, Elaine is sound asleep and I love when George when Elaine announces that she's out, George says I figured you'd cruise at least through the spring. Like, yeah, because <laughs> that was something that probably a lot of viewers are thinking like, yeah, Lane's going to, she'd be the logical choice to win something like this. Right. But right. Right. JFK Jr. Got her. And then by at the end, like everyone's fast asleep at the end. So whoever won, it wasn't by much because everybody was sleeping soundly by the end of the episode. And that brings me to, so Jeremy, who won the contest? Well, I think it's a reference. The finale kind of, mm-hmm. you know, they thought that the plane was going to crash. So I guess going by season four, if you're in that seat, you kind of find out George was the, the winner, but he lied. And so then in the finale, when the plane's going to crash and he kind of like, they're all confessing like their truths. He says, you know, I really cheated. I really didn't win the contest, which is pretty a great reference. Like, yeah to do that in the finale so in actuality jerry won the contest but for a lot of years i guess it was perceived that george won it but he really did it it to me that's kind of like i wonder because you know one thing you can say is that these characters aren't the like they're not like the most likable or like you want to be like them but i feel like when it comes to the four of them they do care and love each other yeah, like in their, their own in way. their ways, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, they, mm-hmm. they, they do, so I think... But, they, you know, just because you love someone and care doesn't mean that you don't know their ways, good and bad. So part of me, when George is confessing, I want to be like, Jerry, did you really... You didn't really check George to see, like, like he didn't... Like, you got to know George is going to try to scheme, especially with all that money on the <laughs> yeah. line. George is going to try to get that money and try to lie and cheat to get it, so it's like... You really did. You really believe George won that contest all those years? So yeah. it, it's just awesome. By the way, side note: when Shaquille O'Neal was on Curb Your Enthusiasm, he told Larry David that the contest was his favorite episode. That's awesome. Yeah. So there you That's go. Awesome. This the this episode has the Shaquille O'Neal the Shaq seal of approval. I'm also gonna go with a season eight episode for my choice here, and I'm gonna go with. The yada yada. Well, we uh, we were engaged to be married. Uh, we bought the wedding invitations and uh, yada yada yada. I'm still single. <laughs> so what's she doing now? Yada. <laughs> I got it. So this is one season eight where we have Tim Watley played by the great. We didn't know it then, but mm-hmm. the great Brian Cranston. Coming on is Tim Watley. He's a dentist, and he had just converted to Judaism, and he already starts making Jewish-themed jokes to Jerry. So Jerry's really upset by that. We also have uh, Kramer and you know Mickey, a uh, really underrated supporting character, by the way, Mickey Abbott, going on a double date, and they can't decide which woman, you know, Karen or Julie, is right for them. And I think some of the, you know, of the funny Kramer and Mickey, like wrestling each other and fighting scenes with where they're at that, that dinner table and the two dates are there and they're both going for that chair. I think that might be my favorite of them. And then, you know, that scene where like they're on the ground and then Kramer's on the table and 
hey, how you doing? He's had that yeah. smile, and then he's just getting pulled down. I mean, that's perfect physical comedic acting right there. It's uh, amazing. By, yeah, by Michael Richards and uh, the gentleman who plays uh, Mickey Danny Woodburn. That was just like great physical acting. So that to me, like, is a huge thing with the whole Tim Watley and the Judaism. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is really George's new girlfriend, Marcy, who likes to say yada 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 to shorten her stories. And just when she says it, and she yada 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 is over like the really the climactic or the best parts of the stories, <laughs> and you're kind of going like, what? And then I mean, a classic scene is when you know, can you yada 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 like sex? And then Elaine, you know, they're like, yeah, I can. I've yada yada sex. Really? Yeah. I met this lawyer. We went out to dinner. I had the lobster bisque. We went back to my place. Yada yada yada. I never heard from him again. And he's like, "You, but you yada 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 the best part." And she goes, "No, I mentioned the bisque." And I just thought, like, the way she delivered that was great. But I'll be honest. This why I love it. The yada 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 is amazing. This has my favorite Jerry scene. When Jerry is just so troubled by what Dr. Watley is doing, and he goes to the confessional to talk to the priest. And, you know, Jerry grew up Jewish. He's not Catholic. So to me, one of the funniest scenes that was just perfect Jerry Seinfeld is he goes into the confessional, and there's the kneeler. And then when he sits on it, like he's sitting down on like a bench. And there's the way the crowd react, and the way I just crack up laughing too at it. It's just so funny. And the priest looks and is like, you know, that's a kneeler. And he goes, oh, okay. And he's like, well, what brings you in? What sins? And he goes, well, you know, I'm Jewish, right? And he's like, that's not a sin. he's like, oh, okay. (laughs) And it's the way the crowd just cracked up. It was just classic Seinfeld, that whole thing. And and then even when he's like, I think Dr. Watley converted just to make Jewish jokes. And this offends you as a Jewish person? No, it offends me as a comedian. It's just so great. It's so awesome. And um, one of my favorite writers of Seinfeld, Peter Melman, he wrote this show. And, you know, Jerry starts cracking. uh, He has it where Jerry's cracking, like, dentist jokes. And that's where we get Kramer calling Jerry an anti-dentite. And Peter Melman thought that was going to be the catchphrase that would stick, anti-dentite. But then yada, yada, yada is what came from... You know, and what hit in pop culture. And he says it just shows you can never pick or guarantee or guess mm-hmm. what it's going to be. He thought it would be anti dentite, but it was yada, yada, yada. Um, I've that's always something loved that's still around today. Absolutely. People always reference yada, yada. And even a really astute person will say, I mentioned the bisque. Like yes. that's, that's how you really know, like, your it's, Seinfeld fans right there is if absolutely. they say, I mentioned the bisque after yada, yada. But this is, again, one of those little phrases that Larry David and Seinfeld and and uh, the other writers and uh, who you mentioned, the genius of it, just that's one of those little phrases that they just made sound like it almost sounds like it's, it's been with us all our lives, right? And yada yada has, but they made it so that like it just was permeating throughout culture. So I think that's something that maybe people said here and there but it really didn't gain as much traction as it has now until seinfeld no i don't think it was used in that way you know it was, was kind of yeah. it was used like yeah like kind of like to move the story along i feel like and yada mm-hmm. yada yada now we're here so like but you're not yada yada yadding over like the best part. the the best part 
and kind of leaving like, are you hiding something? <laughs> yeah. You want a mystery? Um, and, and just seeing George and, and that Marcy character doing that to each other, you know, George over Susan's death and all that, like, it was just great to me. So uh, Deborah Messing, you know, Deborah before Messing. she did Will and Grace, she guest stars as, you know, on this show. So I just think um, I got to put the yada, yada, yada as my number two choice. Yeah, I, I, I can't argue that. That's a great choice, Jeremy. Something that's stood the test of time. A lot of great plots, not just like the A plot. You have like all the plots just kind of just kind of hit and rememberable. And I, I think that's a, a wonderful choice. And as much as I am excited to use my first veto on this show, it's not going to be for this one. Okay, okay. <laughs> okay. Well, I, I do have a quick question for you before uh-huh. we, we hear your... Um... Your your second choice is so I that episode was a season eight episode, and Seinfeld went for nine seasons. But for the first seven, it was really there's the writing staff, but Larry, David, and Jerry were the two like creative forces at the head of it. After season seven, Larry David leaves the show, and it's really it's Jerry as the lone lead voice. He has the staff, so a lot of people feel like the last two seasons. It gets kind of more absurdist, more physical humor, more like goofy. And a lot of like, you know, diehard Seinfeld fans don't like those two seasons as much. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering for you, how do you feel about like seasons eight and nine? Like, do you feel a drop off? Do you like it more or less? Like, how do you feel? I think they're just a little different. I think they are maybe a little more cartoonish, but I I, I still like I think they're well written. They're all very clever. I don't think there's a drop off. I think a, a Seinfeld fan who's who who might say they don't like those seasons, maybe just that's almost a hipster kind of take. That I I kind of agree. Yeah, yeah, I don't really agree with it. It's it's a little different in tone, but some of my favorite episodes come from seasons eight and nine, and I think it's a, it's still a very clever show. And I I still I mean I did consider a handful of episodes from those seasons. So I think the quality is just fine, slightly different in tone, but so what? I think it adds adds to the series. I think it adds to the series. Seinfeld did have some dark stuff early on, like some like darker themed things, and I think it shows like oh, like to me the versatility of it that hey, it could kind of be a little bit lighter in tone in some of it and still bring that humor. And I think a lot of Seinfeld, no matter what you say, it's it's based in absurd and silliness. You know, even if it's like you pointed out earlier, it's relatable. It's still silly, you know, like the close talker thing and all those things. It's like, oh, yeah, I can relate to that. But in the end, it's still like a silliness thing. Like it's still. So that's why I kind of I agree. I feel like people are really nitpicking when they want to say that, because I'm like, were you really back in, you know, 96 in 97 and 98 being like, well, I miss Larry David. I miss him. Where's like, I don't think anyone was saying that, you know, really as much. I feel like it, it was, it became later on, especially once Larry David did Curb Your Enthusiasm, that that kind of like grew in my opinion. Nah, I, I celebrate the, the entire series, even seasons one through three, even though, even visually, and we didn't, I don't even think we touched on that, like visually, 
the first three seasons looked different. Very different. There was less color. It was like, I think the colors were a little more muted. <laughs> the mm-hmm. first three seasons seems like they shot with different techniques or something. I don't know. But but I even think that the writing in the first three seasons is really good, too. So I celebrate all nine seasons, Jeremy. Absolutely. I, I just wanted to see what you thought, you know, uh, as about that and what your opinion was. <laughs> For my second choice, we're going to go to season five. Okay. So kind of in that sweet spot that people feel <laughs> as far as uh, Seinfeld goes. Uh, it's going to be the season finale of season five. And one of my favorite premises in the show's history. And we're going to go with a show called The Opposite. Well, here's your chance to try The Opposite. Instead of tuna salad and being intimidated by women, chicken salad and going right up to them. Yeah. I should do the opposite. I should. If every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. <laughs> so this one is just basically George is at the beginning. He's staring into the sea because he's just like fed up. He's had it with his life. He's just so dejected. He decides through the help of talking to Jerry and Elaine at the coffee shop that he's going to do the opposite of every of all what all of his instincts tell him to do. Mm-hmm. Jerry's the one that brought up like if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite must be correct. So George starts putting into putting that into play right away by talking to to the woman at the coffee shop. Excuse me, uh, I couldn't help but notice that you were looking in my direction. <laughs> oh yes, I was. You just ordered the same exact lunch as me. <laughs> My name is George. I'm unemployed and I live with my parents. I'm Victoria. Hi. Which was honestly, you didn't know at the time, that was one of the more pivotal things that happened in the show's history was him meeting that woman at the coffee shop. So George just throughout the whole episode, he does the opposite of everything that he's always done and his life starts getting better and he starts getting more successful and Elaine, her life takes a turn for the worse. And Jerry in the episode, Kramer labels him as even Steven. You know, life is amazing. I just lost a job and five minutes later, get another job, same weekend, same money. You know who you are? Even Steven. (laughs) So like basically George is on an upswing, Elaine's on a downswing, and Jerry, who makes it about himself, he says that George and Elaine switching places means that it evens out for him. He's like, don't you guys see? It's evening out for me. So this is just, uh, to me, this is a pivotal, pivotal episode because this is where George ends up getting his job at the Yankees. Right, right. Because that woman he met at the coffee shop, I guess her uncle worked for the Yankees. So this is Mm -hmm. where George gets that... He gets the Yankees job because he does the opposite of his instincts. And just one of my favorite moments in Seinfeld is when he tells George Steinbrenner off, basically. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mr. Steinbrenner, sir. There's someone here I'd like you to meet. This is Mr. Costanza. He's one of the applicants. Nice to meet you. Well, I wish I could say the same, but I must say, with all due respect, I find it very hard to see the logic behind some of the moves you have made with this fine organization. In the past 20 years, you have caused myself and the city of New York a good deal of distress. 
as we have watched you take our beloved Yankees and reduce them to a laughing stock, all for the glorification of your massive ego. Hire this man. <laughs> that was just one of the funniest moments to me in Seinfeld. Hire and- this man. Yeah, hire this man. Yeah. yeah, so this is just to me like a Stone Cold classic episode. Didn't even get to Kramer's storyline, which I thought was pretty cool too, is his coffee table book. But like, I don't know, Jeremy. This To me, this has to be, this is a Stone Cold classic Seinfeld episode to me. Yeah, yeah. I don't know why I've said it yet. This is this is maybe in the history of pop culture five, I could the first steal. You stole my. That was my. Really? That was my third. Yeah, the oh, opposite like, okay. was my third. Wow. So I. That's why I went like, uh, because I was like, that was going to be my third <laughs> one, because I just love that episode, and um, I think it's just brilliant to me on how Elaine, and I don't think, I think people are talking about how great Elaine is. There, you know, there was that stuff about like how, and we know how wrong it is, and so many people before and after have proven it wrong. But I think when people see like a, a beautiful woman don't and they don't think that she can be funny or mm-hmm. be like funny in the way that quote unquote guys are. And that's a stupid rumor and stereotype. Right. And I love that, you know, Julia Louis Dreyfus as Elaine, she nails that throughout the whole series, but in this episode of seeing her kind of like start off on top and she's just killing it. And then it's just bad things keeps happening and she's just going down and down and down. And then even that end scene where George is like, you can move in with my parents when she's like going to get evicted. <laughs> and then she like walks over how pissed she is. You can see how uh-huh. George is scared because like yep. Elaine could check George, you know, like so he's like, she's like, was that what you were saying or was that the opposite? And he's like, what I was saying. And she just hits him on the head, kind of like Frank Costanza. Yeah. Stick to the opposite. <laughs> I just love that. I just kind of love, like, to me, seeing her play that part. And this episode personifies that she could get down and dirty with the boys just as good, if not even better than them. And this one kind of personifies that. There's also one, you know, uh, Regis and Kathy Lee are on. Mm-hmm. And this Regis had beef with Jerry Seinfeld for a long time after his appearance on here. So that, and I kind of found that out recently. I didn't know that, but uh, yeah, Regis there was a line that they mm-hmm. had made Regis say, and Regis didn't yeah. think it was funny, but they kept it in, and it probably wasn't. Like I, I didn't. As far as this episode goes, probably the the Regis and Kathy Lee thing was probably the least my least favorite it, from this it, episode. It, Even though right. it was funny to see Kramer on there, and he introduces the coffee table book that turns into a coffee table if you don't have one. So that was kind of funny. But the Regis and Kathy Lee stuff. Probably could have done without, so I kind of don't blame Regis, but even that was memorable, Kramer's appearance on Regis and Kathy Lee. Yeah, because I, you know what, and, and that's what it's great too, is that Kramer, I remember I had a friend who I would be like, he was like, a, he is a Seinfeld encyclopedia, and I'm like, well, you know, how is Kramer living in this apartment, across from Jerry, he's not, he doesn't have a job, hasn't had a job in years and years, and all that stuff, and he was like, if you watch, you kind of can see where Kramer can kind of get money and like the kind of like, you know, Kramer's pretty brilliant. And this, like, even though it doesn't wind up working out for him, it kind of just cracks me up that some people kind of like, it's the right place, right time. Mm -hmm. And that's Cosmo Kramer to me. So the fact that like he has this book and then he's just, he's doing like the talk show like circuit and he's on with Regis and Kathy Lee, but then he does something goofy to kind of mess it up too. But it's like, that's just classic Kramer. So even though, 
the other storylines with the other three characters are much stronger. Kramer still has like a good little bit there too. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the thing about this episode too is all four of the stories revolving around them really popped to me and I want to second your take about Julia Louis-Dreyfus in this episode. She's so good. And great physical acting, too, when she's eating all those juji fruits. Mm-hmm, That's mm-hmm. one of my favorite things. Something I always remember is she stopped and got juji fruits and popcorn, we find out, before she went to go visit her boyfriend, Jake, at the hospital. And Jerry is kind of a stand-in for the audience because he even asked her, like, why why did you have to eat so many? Like, Because <laughs> she's just popping juji fruits like when she's yeah. talking to Jake and she has so many in her mouth. And that's good physical acting. But as an audience member, you're wondering, like, why is she eating so many? So I love that when when Jerry just sort of says the elephant in the room and asks her, why did you have to eat so many? She's like, I, I just love them. <laughs> that's so great. So great. Yeah, that's oh. just one of my favorite all-time episodes. I just loved rewatching this. And this is one where an obscure quote that I think my cousin Adam and I have looked at each other at various points. And I'd be like, you know who you are? You're even Steven. And we've <laughs> called each other even Steven because of this episode before. <laughs> no, this this is one that is just a favorite of mine. And I think it's honestly, you have to say it's essential because so many people, their perception of George Steinbrenner is Larry David's voice as George Steinbrenner. And like you said, but George getting the job with the Yankees it is which is a essential part of George's character for the next few seasons. So mm-hmm. I think I agree with you as well. Like that winds up being a big plot line is George working with the Yankees and bringing that George Steinbrenner character onto the show. So not only is it a favorite, you know, you look at how funny it is, but it's essential in that way as well. <laughs> All right, this is going to be tough, but I'm going to I'm going to have to go with something that I feel like has kind of gone down. It's still very popular, but I feel like while the last couple of years of Seinfeld and for a long time after Seinfeld went out off the air, the most popular of the catchphrases, the most popular of the pop culture phenomenon. You want bread? Yes, please. Three dollars. <laughs> what? No soup for you. And I think that's that's going to be my third choice on here. That's from season seven. Okay. And this is one that, I'll be honest, Thomas, I did rewatch. I've seen it a million times, but I wanted to be, like, fair. And I'm like, is this just the no soup for you? Or how good of an overall episode is this? And it's a damn good episode, man. Like, overall, it is just great. I mean, I honestly think... There's a couple things, like how funny the soup Nazi is, but there's a few other little nuggets that I always forget. I mean, as far as just, you know, Elaine doing her, her bad Al Pacino sin of a woman <laughs> impression. Hoo-ah! Hoo-ah! The annoyed look on the soup Nazi's face <laughs> yeah. when she's doing that. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh, that's, that's very good. That's very good. It's funny. No soup for you. Like, the way he does it. <laughs> or, just George's reaction to uh, Jerry and his girlfriend in the beginning doing the whole schmoopy, schmoopy. So what theater do you want to go to tonight? We got uh, 61st and 3rd or 84th and Broadway. Which one do you want to go to, schmoopy? You call me schmoopy. You're schmoopy. You're schmoopy. You're schmoopy. 
and then George just can't be around him. Yeah. Well, I, I can't stand it with the, the swoopy, whoopy, whoopy, swoopy, whoopy, <laughs> all those things. I'm spending, I'm spending the whole time trying to figure out which one of them schmoopy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. And even the... <laughs> well, like the that scene in the in Monk's Cafe, where it's like the four, like uh, it's George and Susan and uh, and Jerry and and his girlfriend Sheila, and then just doing all that stuff, and then they're just like competing over like the baby talk, and then they both start like making out in the episode. There's just so many just hilarious scenes outside of just the soup Nazi. It's just it's just great. So going into this, uh, the last couple of weeks since I kind of started this Seinfeld research, Jeremy. Uh, I specifically watched the Soup Nazi because I thought one of us might bring it up mm-hmm. at some point in this episode. And I watched it basically for the reason that you did. I, I was like, is this episode just famous because the Soup Nazi and all of that? Or is it actually a really good episode? And my conclusion was that this episode's really, really good. Okay, it, yeah. it was better than I thought. And, and I had actually forgot that the Schmoopy stuff was in this episode. Right, I, I forgot right. that the Soup Nazi and Schmoopy were the same episode because Schmoopy, amongst me and my friends and family who watch Seinfeld, that was probably bigger, a bigger thing than the than the "No Soup for You" catchphrase. Oh, okay. Like calling, like jokingly calling someone Schmoopy, that lived on in my circle more than "No Soup for You." But and I forgot that this was the same episode, and that made me so happy when I, as soon as I saw Allie Wentworth. As Sheila, I was like, "Oh, this is the Schmooby. Yes, they, yes, I love this. So this is this is such a good pick, and not just because of the Soup Nazi. By the way, Larry Thomas did a phenomenal job as the Soup Nazi. A lot of people awesome. don't know his name, but he was so good, and he's rightfully so made like a whole career <laughs> out of yeah. having played the Soup Nazi in an episode of Seinfeld, and just the whole like." Oh god, the the uh moment when George says that he didn't get any bread and then his soup gets taken away and then he comes back and he looks and he's he thanks him for the bread and the soup Nazi looks at him and says, You're pushing your luck, little man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so great. Yeah, all so the great. beats of this episode are so good. And one of one of my favorite moments was between Jerry and George and Susan. After Jerry and Sheila had broken up, and he encounters George and Susan, and and Jerry's just rubbing it in George's face because he knows that George is going to have to play up the public display of affection with Susan. Mm-hmm. So he's like, you know, you know how I love. She was very affectionate, especially in public. You know how I love that, but we just couldn't connect mentally. Right, it just right. wasn't there. But he, the whole time, you could tell he was just digging at George. The whole time he's like, "All right, well, I'll see you," and then he just kind of leaves. The like, brilliance the, the, of Jerry, man. God, the brilliance of Jerry just. The beats of this episode are just perfect. And it's not just because it's the soup Nazi. It's because the whole episode is fantastic. And by the way, Jeremy, do you remember Allie Wentworth, the one who played Sheila? Do you remember her? Where Mm -hmm. she's from? Uh, Where's she's from? um, Karate Kid. Well, no, no, no. Uh, She's from. That's Elizabeth. She's from Living Color. In Living Color. Oh, she was in oh, over oh. 60 episodes uh, from 92 to 94. She was actually a cast member on In you're Living right, Color. You're right. You're right. Yeah. So so that's a little a little nugget right there. And we had a, we have a former SNL cast member in this episode, Anna Gasteyer. Yeah, yeah, Anna Gasteyer. She, she, yeah, she, she got yelled at by the soup Nazi before Elaine came in. And I'll let you set this up, too, because this is great. Like, Elaine finds something in the armor that just right. sort of... 
Yeah. Well, the armoire scene where, um, so, you know, Elaine sees this armoire and she wants it, but she can't bring it in, you know, can't move on Sundays. So then even before, like when she has Kramer to watch it and then the, the two, the two gay guys come up and they kind of pretty the much bully tops. the street toughs. They bully Kramer for the armoire. And I think that whole sequence is funny because then when he's just like, these street toughs, they took it from me. It's gone. <laughs> She's like, where's my armor? It's, oh, it's gone. These yeah. street toughs took it. And um, Where's my suit, by the way? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think when Jerry and Kramer bump into the street toughs, and he's like, there they are. And then, Jerry, uh, excuse me? And they're like, you talking to me? You talking to me? And then the two of them look at each other and how they like run off together. They get like scared is one of like, yeah. my favorite sequences too of like ever in Seinfeld. But um, definitely once they have the armoire and then it gets opened and you see all of the soup Nazis, you know, his recipes are in there. And I think that's just hilarious to me where even there where she's like, I'm going to ruin them. And Jerry like gets in front of her and was like, <laughs> wait a second, where do you think you're going? What do you care? Elaine, I don't want you causing any trouble down at that soup stand. I happen to love that soup. Get out of my way, Jerry. Elaine, let the man make his soup. Don't make me hurt you, Jerry. Yeah. <laughs> it's like how so we always you. get these nuggets of how tough Elaine is. Yeah. Like, all the guys are afraid of her because she has this, like, superhuman strength. There's a great uh, get out push by Elaine when she pushes Kramer when he says that where he got the armoire, that he got it from who you so callously refer to as the soup Nazi. Mm -hmm. She pushes Kramer through the door. That was perfect. I love when, when they break that out, when she does her get out and she pushes one of them. And so that, that was like a great physical bit right there. But gosh, the beats of this episode, I could go on and on. Even Newman with episode. the Newman, jambalaya. Jambalaya. Like, and then he kind of like <laughs> yeah. squirrels away. Like, yeah, just, just every single, almost it seemed like every single line in this episode kind of hit there was one and i know that since this is like a nostalgia kind of podcast we obviously talk about stuff from like the 90s and whatever and yeah it's kind of like some, both it's like both we yeah, can do present too but yeah we'll do past. present but a lot of this is, is is nostalgia that we that we talk about just kind of that's what our, a lot of our topics lend themselves to but so some people will be listening to this and and think that like oh there's you know the storyline about the street toughs taking the armor like that might not age well a little bit but you know, that's the risk of watching something from the 90s. Sometimes yeah. it doesn't quite fit into today's social climate. So I think we could acknowledge that, but then kind of appreciate the episode and appreciate what's going on and kind of move on. I think just a disclaimer up top that some stuff from back then might sure. not age perfectly. But, but I kind of think the way they portrayed the street toughs yeah. was funny in that or like it was different in that they were tough. Like yeah. you know, and a lot of times, wrongly how people who were gay were portrayed. It was like you know weren't physically tough or couldn't be intimidating. That's a good point. But I kind of like that. Like no, like Kramer and Jerry. And I watched that episode then and now, and I'm I'm not like oh I would have I would have been like no nah, I would have got out of there. Like they're bringing an intensity that I'm like <laughs> I I can't match that level right now. Right. And it's like this is even my armor. I'm not gonna take like punches <laughs> to the face for yeah. this isn't even mine. So like I'm getting out of here. Yeah. Like so they're going like against that. type. Yeah, that's a yeah. That, that's a good point. They were going against type. So. Just yeah, just all these beats of the soup Nazi. If anybody out there thinks that this is an overrated episode because it's the soup Nazi, it's not. And Jeremy and I specifically rewatched this 
because we thought that that might be the case, uh, but it's absolutely not. It's funny how time has changed, but for the longest time, I think when you said a Seinfeld, the first one always was no soup for you. And they, it's not number one now, I think, mm-hmm. but for so long, it was no soup for you was like the number of a show with a million catchphrases. This was number one. So I think that's yeah. another reason, too. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one last fun detail, and of course it's Kramer who's the only one who could be casual with the soup Nazi. Absolutely. He's just sitting there talking, leaning against the wall, eating his soup, just having a casual conversation with Yev Kassem, who we find out that that's his name in the in the series finale. Mm-hmm. But Kramer, of course, is the only one who can just be there and act casual with the soup Nazi. And, and of course it's Kramer. It makes complete sense because... Because the soup Nazi says he's the only one that understands that can, that really understands him. <laughs> you know what? And and I'm glad you brought that up, Thomas, because I you might disagree. None of these characters were like so bad, but they they were very self centered. I would say like a lot like that's why I get selfish and self centered. A lot of these characters. If I feel like the nicest character of the four main one, it was Kramer. I think he was Probably. like. I think you saw, like, he befriended, like, he was friends with Jerry and Newman, even though they were rivals. And, like, everyone else is like, why are you friends with Newman? He was cool with Mickey. He was cool. You saw how, like, signed, uh, he was cool with uh, Mr. Costanza. They were, like, a, a weird, like, you know, combo. I remember, like, the beginning of season four when Jerry picks his parents up from the airport and they he brings them home and then, like, you see, like, hey, Kramer. Like, they, they all, like, hype and excited. He was cool with Jerry's parents. He was cool with everybody. Very good like, friends with Bob Sacamano. Very good friends with Bob Sacamano. Like, very <laughs> tight. Very tight. Like, he stuck up for, you know, Dr. Wheatley. You're an anti-dentite. Like, yeah, you know, like. that's right. Yeah. Kramer has the best intentions out of the four. Yes. By yes. far. Yeah. Yeah. You never feel that Kramer's acting in a, in a callous sort of way. He's mm-hmm. misguided. Mm-hmm. Very much so. But I don't think I think his intentions are mostly pure, and I think he, I don't want to use the word it's not empathy, but he accepts people for who they are. Yeah, and he so I think that's why he could be cool with the soup Nazi. He knew, oh, I accept. Like he's passionate about what he does. Everyone else is kind of like, just make the soup. You're getting money, whatever. He's like, no, he he slaves. He cares about how good the quality is. Is he excessive? Absolutely. But why but, should he expect it from his customers? Yeah, he kind of <laughs> understands him on that. You know, I think, let's be real. There's certain episodes, like, I think the parking garage, he kind of points out like these weird rules that Jerry, George, any lane two kind of have. And when he's talking to George about just, I mean, it's, it's funny, it's misguided, but he says, if you got to go to the bathroom, just find somewhere to go. He's like, oh, and George, I can't do that. I can't. I remember Kramer's like, yeah, just go in the corner and go. He's like, you and Jerry, always just in your head. And it's like, wasn't a funny line. It was just like him. Yeah. He recognizes like these are his friends, but like he sees like, oh, they're always in their heads. They're He's always speaking like, for the audience. Yeah. In and a I case think, like that. Yeah. And I think Kramer is why he, because I thought that same thing of like, why is Kramer, like, why is the soup Nazi cool with Kramer of all people? Mm-hmm. Like. It's not needed. It kind of is. It's part of the plot. Like, that's how you get the armoire. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you could have done it a different way. But I'm like, no, Kramer is the right guy. He kind of connects with everybody in a way. 
Exactly, exactly. So I won't be using any of my vetoes this episode. Jeremy, I was oh, all wow. set to. I was looking for any reason to nitpick <laughs> today, <laughs> but I couldn't find it at all. And there's a perfect closure with the soup Nazi. No, I'm, I'm, and I'm glad because um, I wasn't sure where you would go. And there's a lot of things to choose from. I'm going to be straight up, though, with people. As much as I gave props to the contest being one of the great episodes in TV history... I think the Chinese restaurant is maybe the most overrated episode in television history. Interesting. Where the praise that it gets and people just loving it. And, lo- and I still to this day don't really like that episode and don't really see what the appeal is. And that's one that so many people talk about as essential for Seinfeld. But I don't love that one. So I kind of, I want people to know I'm, I'm fair all around. Like I keep it real too. Um, I'm also someone who thinks Seinfeld is great. I do love this show. It is not my number one choice for the greatest sitcom of all time. And that, hmm. for a lot of people, is blasphemy. And I've one of the big arguments in pop culture stuff that I've had, if we're going to do an episode, our next one will be like two, but one of them is about, is Seinfeld the greatest sitcom? I, it's, all, it's in my top five, maybe even top three, but it's not my number one. And Interesting. people always kind of like get fired up about that and want to argue. <laughs> but and I'm good to have a friendly debate, but yeah. it's just like it's not my number one, but it's an okay. all time great one. And okay. it's top three. Yeah, I, I won't get fiery or anything, but it's my num It's my number one. I hear I you think, as far as just sitcoms go. Yes. So not yes. like the prestige HBO shows no, and all no. that. Those are a different category. Just sitcoms. I think uh, Seinfeld's my number one. I think I hear you, and, and just because it's just, I know that I'm in for a great 22 minutes or 30 minutes or whatever, and there's something that I glean that make that sticks with me and makes me crack up, and I think it's so clever, and maybe just a little ahead of its time. There wasn't a show like it uh, really in the 90s, but before it, and there really wasn't, and I think probably maybe that's why people like the Chinese restaurant episode as well because it truly was an episode about nothing and it was it was all in the dialogue and everything and so i think that 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 in the parking garage episode were like the two two of the episodes were like it was about nothing because everybody says seinfeld's a show about nothing i disagree that's not with true. that that's, that's not, not true, that's yeah. not true that, that's just something to say but these two those two episodes parking garage and chinese restaurant kind of teetered toward there I don't love Chinese. Re- I didn't consider that episode uh, when we were doing this exercise, but I can see why people might elevate it a little bit because it represents like the show about nothing. Well, I Take. think uh, like you said earlier about like the Larry David, the seasons when Larry David's gone, it has become the hipster opinion. When you talk sure. about essential episodes, Chinese restaurant is like near the top. A lot of times and I think that's where I just like I totally disagree with a lot of people on that and I feel like they're really trying to just be different on it I I never really that never really thought that was even the core and it's funny because the show about nothing label really comes it's an inside like baseball kind of thing because it comes from season four when they're pitching you know the tv show Jerry And George is like, it's a show about nothing. And then that kind of like stuck with everybody, yeah. you know, and it's like, it's the show about nothing when really it's the show about everything, honestly. 
Exactly. It's the show about everybody's uh, idiosyncrasies and neuroses. That, right. That that's kind of, that's kind of what the show is about. And uh, yeah, I like. Uh, I try not to use, especially in these terms, like overrated. If I like an episode, but I think it's overrated, I try not to latch on to other people's opinions. I, I totally mm-hmm. get where you're coming from, especially about the Chinese restaurant episode. But I still, I mean, there still is something about that episode that I that I can latch on to. If anything, I'll remember him yelling out Cartwright at the end of the episode. And that's yeah. like that's like what will stick with me pretty much. But I, yeah, I, 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 I totally get it. And I... I, there are varying degrees of Seinfeld episodes for me, definitely. Right, I I agree. I think there's there's levels to them, and and it's a great show. And that's why I want everyone to always get like it's maybe not my number one, but to me, um, I couldn't look at Thomas or see anybody with a straight face and not say it's not a great show and it's not a top sitcom of all time. And probably if you did combine all show dramas and everything, it's very high up there still as one of the all-time greatest shows still. So I will never take away the the brilliance of this show. I, I think it's really an achievement that this show w- like was on the air at the time. And how they got it on the air is really interesting. And I think it's a bigger achievement that this show crossed over into mass appeal and became a cultural phenomenon because everything you look at it says no, especially in that time, everything points to this show's not going to be a hit in, you know, rural America or all over the board. It's not going to be number one in the Nielsen's. And it was multiple times. I mean, the fact that it was the number one show on TV in its ninth and final season is amazing and still something that like i can't get over 25 years later so yeah yeah i always give props to seinfeld for that yeah it didn't peter out so what what do you think about the finale pretty much with any finale in any tv show it can be divisive yeah there's certain finales that are that are universal but this doesn't seem to be one of them i'm curious what you think i think it's not great i go with what I remember seeing, you know, and people can go on YouTube now and see them, but remember those those Seinfeld DVDs were gold because you got great, like, extra content and, like, bonus features with interviewing the cast and writers and stuff. And I remember Jason Alexander saying he sees the finale with, I remember the week before they had that clip show. He kind of, and, like, he combines those two because the clip show to me was very awesome. And I'll never forget, like, the end of that where they have good day, good riddance, you know, time of your life. And they're playing all those, like all those, showing all those pictures and how emote. I remember like, wow, like even then and now when I see it, how emotional I even feel. So he kind of looks at both of them as like a combined thing. And I think if you do that, it helps the finale by itself, brave in the attempt. And I like the attempt to try to pay homage to all of the Seinfeld universe but kind of a weird way to go out for me, but it's not as bad as people say, mm-hmm. but it's not great either. Yeah. I commend the attempt too. I'm kind of right there. I think it, it makes sense that they got their comeuppance. Uh, maybe not as much Kramer, but he was an enabler for sure <laughs> for, right, right. for the other three. So it kind of made sense that they ended up in jail 
for breaking a law called Good Samaritan law because they're not Good Samaritans. They are not. No. So I thought I thought that that was pretty good. Um, it did feel even you know them trotting out different people from their past at that trial felt a little clip showy, you know. So I th- think maybe it felt lazy to some people bringing back like the low talker and the soup Nazi, uh, Jackie Childs, people like that. Maybe it felt a little lazy, but I think the ultimate point of them ending up in jail kind of fit when you revisit the series as a whole. So I'm, for the most part, um, pro Seinfeld finale, and I commend the attempt. I think the only thing that's kind of different for me is Larry David came back to write the finale, and if, say, Larry David didn't and Jerry did it, it would kind of be like, okay, I think... It was very opposite of what Larry David would do to me is not them going to jail, but the fact that he's making it, like you said, very clip showish. Mm-hmm. That doesn't seem the way before and after, like not a Larry David thing. So I think that's the only like surprising part. Like, but if you would have said like Jerry wrote that episode or one of the other writers, I would have been, oh, yeah, absolutely. But it just kind of feels a little bit different. So before I get to my question, I like, or my question for you about Seinfeld. I'm going to recap. We have the five essential, according to Jeremy and Thomas, the switch, the contest, the yada, 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 the opposite, and the soup Nazi. Those are our five essentials Yes. for Seinfeld episodes. I know what the next episode is going to be, and I wanted to say, throw this out to you. Do you think in so many ways, like Seinfeld, the, the four cast, the four you know actors, are they equivalent? Are they wow. like the equal to the Beatles? In wow! And not I know the obvious is that there's four, right? That's yeah. the whoa, 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 there's four of them. They've but called you them look the at, Fab Four, yeah, here and there. But I think the Beatles people look at the Beatles and like, okay, the four of them. Who was greater when the Beatles? Who's your favorite? Everyone right. has different four. With Seinfeld, a different four. The Beatles kind of go through different variations in their time. Like, from you look at the early 60s as a boy band to them maturing. I feel like Seinfeld, as we've kind of been talking about, has different variations here and there. Uh, The Beatles, really, when they were breaking through America, it's like a seven-year run. Seinfeld has a nine-year run. Both of them, people want more, want it more and more. And how can you leave now when the Beatles did it in seventy? When Seinfeld left in 98, people were like, how can you leave? You're number one. Just like also even, okay, well, who has the best career post the Beatles or the best career post Seinfeld? Right. And I think both are just cultural phenomenons here. The Beatles are a world one. I don't know if Seinfeld has a world, but they're an American phenomenon. Yeah. Um, Do you think like they're like the, the Beatles pop culture doppelganger? I guess that's the way to put it. I don't know. I think maybe television, possibly like a television doppelganger. I can see, and I was I started to think like what character would I equate to what Beatle? So I think well, maybe okay. like Jerry and Paul would be yeah more I so like, like the one to one comparison. I'd probably put John Lennon and George. I, I would think go that, with that. That might make sense. George Harrison and Elaine. Seems like kind of feels right to me. And then Ringo and Kramer. Kramer. Yeah. Yeah, I I like that. I think there's like like a, I think that's a, those are apt comparisons as well. That's interesting, Jeremy. 
Yeah, I just think like in so many ways they were just different. They kind of were I don't know, they kind of defined pop culture in a way. They were outliers in pop culture. Like I think you can look at and you know certain Beatles songs and then and now you're like, man, how was that? A pop culture hit. It was very unique, very different. Mm-hmm. You could look at like the Chinese rest. How is that a pop culture phenomenon as an episode or the contest or any of the ones we named, honestly? Like, how did that hit the lexicon? It was just very different. And they both had like there was an explosion and we hadn't seen something like that before. Yeah. You know, and they influenced everything after. You know, in their fields, music, pop music for the Beatles, television for Seinfeld. I think it's just they're the Fab Four, not just because there's four of them, but in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that's really astute. I I think it's so cool that you brought that up. And I'm curious, and we we don't have to go into any detail about this, but do you have an honorable mention? Something that you heavily considered? I know I stole the opposite from you, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, um, I guess for me, the hot tub. That's the season seven one with uh with John Luke and and, and running like the oh, race and yep. with the timer and and mm-hmm. all that and Jerry being like uh, Elaine you're gonna mess this up because you know and all those things and uh, I thought that's that is uh, I left it off because I was like it's a favorite of mine I didn't know over the ones that I had could I justify it being an essential yeah so that's why I kind of knocked it down that one and the Merv Griffin show. Yeah, are, I rewatched are, the Merv Griffin show. They're my two favorite episodes, yeah. honestly, like on a favorite list. Like, yeah, but I couldn't put them over the others for essential. But I love the Merv Griffin show. I agree. I rewatched the Merv Griffin show because it's one of a personal favorite of mine too. Yeah. But it didn't quite meet what I was looking for. Right, uh, this go around. Uh, the other one that I really heavily considered was the chicken roaster, the Kenny Rogers roaster oh, one. Great episode. That's great. great. It was essentially Jerry and Kramer. They uh, do a body switch. <laughs> essentially, mm-hmm. that episode. So they do an apartment switch, but they sort of become each other as well. Jerry befriends Bob Sacamano, and all these hijinks ensue. Elena like gets basically fired from her job or close to fired from her job. There's an apocalypse now reference. It's just such a fun episode so i heavily considered that the chicken roaster as it's called the chenny kenny rogers roasters <laughs> awesome that, that's that they're great ones man and it's um yeah. this was fun to do this really was i think next week that's your choice so do you want to kind of preview what what next week is yes so next week so i've been in a really big beatles phase lately i read a really wonderful book by rob sheffield he wrote a book called Dreaming the Beatles. He's the same person who wrote Love is a Mixtape that, that a lot of people really enjoy. But he wrote a book called Dreaming the Beatles. And I read it very recently. And I've been listening to a lot of Beatles while I was reading the book, afterward. Been just in a really big Beatles phase. So we're going to do next week. And we're tackling. This is a gigantic one. <laughs> yeah. Five essential Beatles songs on the pod next week. This is going to get interesting, I think. And I've had so much fun making my list, re-listening to Beatles stuff. I'm a huge, huge, huge Beatles fan. So this is a this is a big episode for me, an important one, Jeremy. No, I think it's an important one. I think it's going to be really interesting, kind of like with the 90s hip-hop, to really see our music taste and where we go. This It's not as a big 
like uh, like a whole genre, but the Beatles catalog and the Beatles, the different faces of them, you can go a lot of different ways and what you're picking for their essential songs. So I can't wait. I'm excited to see what, what you're picking and, you know I, that one. I'll have the veto. So I mean, yeah. you know, I'm get I'm prepared to get veto, but I have I have like 50 Beatles songs that I had to whittle my <laughs> whittle down from. So I have you if you veto something, I have stuff in the chamber ready to go. Mm-hmm. But I'm also prepared. To let everyone know who's listening. We're fair. So I could <laughs> be thinking, man, there's no way. But I'm prepared for Thomas to to present that case, and if it's legit, and he like blows my mind with the presentation like i hadn't thought about it i'll let that be known like you know what i was ready to veto but you got me so i want people listening to know it, it, it's fair here like and we're we're not like some other people it's not embrace <laughs> debate all the time if thomas like convinces me or i convince him yeah. we're gonna be like hey i i changed my mind so yeah let everyone know we're exactly. fair here. yeah and i'm passionate about the beatles so i believe i'll bring my a game for this one okay Okay, I'll bring mine as well because I I have a a, a unique connection with the Beatles, Perfect. so I I think it'll be good to see if that can coexist for that episode. I'm excited. This was awesome as always for the master of his domain, Mr. Thomas Senna. I'm Jeremy Dove. Thank you guys for listening to Pop Culture Five Podcast. Take care. Some such.